0: Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform, Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and this week at Noteworthy, reporter Niall Sargent has been taking a deep dive into the state of Ireland's biodiversity and what needs to be done to better protect it. Niall, thank you for joining us today. Just to kick off, let's chat biodiversity as a thing, right? I'm thinking here about Ireland's green and fair land, nature-laden, lush. Is that what we're talking about?
1: Yes, in a nutshell, we are because biodiversity is a term that we use to describe all life on Earth. So you're talking about the creepy crawlies under your feet, the soil that supports them, up to the birds and bees, butterflies who be fluttering across our lawns in the summers, to the deers and squirrels in our woodlands all the way up to the larger species and habitats like your whales and sharks and the, the seas that they would live in. So, yeah, essentially, it's, it's all those aspects of the natural world.
0: So that's a, that's a really broad um, definition and, and obviously touches everything that we see around us. But we've also heard a lot about, about biodiversity in news reports recently, um, specifically the decline. What does that mean in reality, like a, on a global scale?
1: Yes, it, in reality, that term, it, it's really stark. So when you say the decline of biodiversity, we're, we're talking up to one million species globally that are threatened with extinction. That's coming from the latest uh, UN data. So many of those as well within the next few decades. It also means not just species, you're talking about as well, the habitats that they rely on uh, are in trouble. You're talking about rivers, coral reefs, bogs, grasslands, or mountain areas. They're being degraded or lost from the world, in some cases permanently, unfortunately.
0: Now, when you mention things like bogs, of course, I'm automatically thinking of Ireland and, you know, the habitats that we have. Is this the situation here in Ireland for our species?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, it's not so great here either. We had our version of that large UN report was the the Irish state assessment. The last one done in 2019, they found where close to 80 species of, of plants and animals would be considered endangered. And this doesn't even include our bird species. So you're looking at over 50 birds also in trouble. Uh, This includes the much-loved puffin that you'd see on Skellig Michael and other iconic species from the Irish landscape like the curlew and corncrake. Unfortunately, the breeding populations of these two species are at risk of disappearing completely from our island without drastic change.
0: So you're saying disappearing, and we're talking about the birds and the bees and everything in between, including my beloved puffins, and talking about them as vulnerable. Like Nile vulnerable, disappearing. Does that ultimately mean they're going extinct?
1: Unfortunately, it means they're, they are moving in that direction. So there's several categories that the UN have developed, all of them bad, unfortunately, to describe the, the state of conditions of the species and habitat. So if something is extinct, then obviously it's gone. The next group you're looking at is what we term as threatened. So that covers three broad areas. So you're looking at critically endangered, meaning at extreme risk of, of extinction, endangered at a high risk of extinction, and then vulnerable. It's not as bad as the other two, but they're still moving in that wrong direction towards endangered and ultimately extinct, unless we do something to target the things that are harming them and make those changes fast.
0: OK, and it's it's targeting things that are ha- harming the species. But then earlier as well, you talked about biodiversity, including the habitats on which those species depend. So please tell me you have better news for us on those. Are they thriving or are they even surviving? Is that what I should be asking?
1: I wish I had good news for you, but unfortunately, they're closer to surviving than thriving in Ireland. So in that state assessment from 2019 I mentioned earlier, they also looked at the conditions of the habitats and found that, unfortunately, only five of of 59 habitats assessed are in a good state. So the vast majority are in a bad condition. And then unfortunately, most of those, again, the conditions are declining. So they're getting even worse than they already are. This includes well-known vital habitats that we would have here in our, our island of Ireland, like estuaries, reefs, but also our, our raised and blanket bog networks, which are really unique. Our old oak woodlands, which we have very little of left, and grasslands of various other habitats, unfortunately, are, are all going in the wrong direction.
0: I mean, it is worth repeating that statistic about 54 out of the 59 habitats that they assessed in a bad state, like only five doing okay. I mean, that. That just doesn't sound great for nature. But your investigation has found that that kind of decline is also a problem for us, the humans on this island, too. How so?
1: Yeah, we we sometimes think biodiversity protection is just for for the animals, uh, but it's actually vital to support us as well. So these habitats and species play to a whole host of ecosystem services on which we as human beings depend. So you're going you're talking about all the way from soil quality, pollination of crops, to limiting flooding, filtering drinking water, a range of things. So in a nutshell, it's the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. Uh, we all rely on biodiversity for that. So without protecting nature, we're failing to protect ourselves.
0: Right. Our natural world is in trouble. And by virtue of our dependence on it, we are too. Um, how does this come about? Like, What are the key causes here of the decline that we are seeing in biodiversity in Ireland?
1: Yeah, the, the natural world uh, here, as well as the rest of the world, unfortunately, is impacted by our human hand. The main impacts would be the likes of habitat loss, over-exploitation of the land, pollution of land, water courses, uh, the seas. Um, in Ireland in particular, we have a long-term lack of protection for what would be our high nature value areas. Uh, as lands, we would have drained them for intensive agriculture, for peatland extraction, and also planting peatlands with, with conifer tree plantations as part of a state policy. So those have been fairly significant impacts uh, as well as issues from our own own pollution from wastewater and things like that.
0: So we've been looking there at the big picture, but I want to zoom in for a moment, Niall, because I know you have been looking at the hen harrier as a particular case study of this kind of historically damaging state policy. Now, I'm gonna ask you a bit more about this lovely bird in a moment. But I want to hear from Ryan Wilson Parr, who's an ecologist with the Irish Raptor Study Group, and as luck would have it for us, a hen harrier expert, on what's been happening to them.
1: The population trajectory is, is serious. I mean, in 2020 there was 62 territorial pairs. So that's that's a 34 percent decrease from the population at designation. So in the space of um, 15 years, the population's crashed by a third.
0: Niall. The hen harrier is an important bird in Ireland, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's it's a really important bird. So it's it's first of all, it's one of our, our rarest raptor species. When people think of raptors, you know, they think it's in the same category as as eagles and buzzards and things like that. But uh, unfortunately, as as Ryan Wilson Parr said, there it's seen its population plummet quite dramatically. As it's a ground nesting bird, which is another unique aspect to it, this brings it into conflict with a more intensified agricultural model, and also with those conifer plantations I mentioned before that dot the lands that are actually set aside for its protection. The reason it's, I guess, the importance of and why it's particularly worrying about its decline is it's seen as an umbrella species for the health of biodiversity in general, in our uplands and in the wider farming landscape. So essentially, if the hen harrier is in trouble, then a bunch of other red-listed species and important habitats that they depend on are in trouble too.
0: Right, it's it's. I'm going to mix my metaphors here or my analogies and say he's the hen harrier is essentially the canary in the mine for us. Um, on this, so look, I'm going to assume that with all that talk of the impact of policy, like it is the state and the government who have the power to turn this decline around, and are they doing that, Niall? There, are,
1: there are changes happening. If you look compared to the the way of the Irish landscape, what we used to be, it's vastly changed over the last decade. So today, you have almost uh, land set aside for almost 600, just over 600 protected areas for different habitats and species. So that actually today takes in about 13% of our land area.
0: Okay, that sounds good, right? Like, why is that biodiversity in trouble if we have all of these protected areas?
1: Well, while we have this network of protected areas on paper, a key concern that is raised consistently by the experts that we spoke to is that while the natural world is falling off a cliff, it's really just little, but paper protection in place for a large part of these networks.
0: So, in protecting like these really precious species and habitats, what is not happening, Nile, that should be happening in your kind of look at this?
1: Yeah, I suppose what's not happening is, like I said, taking it, shifting from from the paper exercise to the real world. So, our analysis we found about sixty percent of these protected areas have detailed conservation objectives for the species and the habitats that they're meant to protect. So that basically means these is, this is X, Y, and Z that we have to do to conserve the species. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in many of those cases, it took years to set those objectives. So, for example, it took over 20 years to set those objectives for the Killar- Killarney National Park area. The other issue then is that's about 60%. So that means there's about 40% of protected areas that have these very generic conservation objectives that are to quote unquote, protect the species or habitats. There's no real substance or detail to what exactly you need to do to protect those habitats and species. And this includes the hen harrier that we just talked about. So there's six areas designated to protect the hen harrier, but we still have no specific conservation objectives to do that, nor do we have a threat response plan that the state was meant to publish a few years ago to outline how to protect the hen harrier into the future. And then again, on top of those issues, So even if you have the conservation objectives in place, virtually none of our 600 plus protected sites have management plans. So without the management plans, how do you ensure that any of those objectives are actually met with concrete action on the ground? So those are significant issues of how Mm. the changes that need to be made to protect our our network of protected areas for these valuable species.
0: Wow. I mean, no management plans. I mean, Now I'm really worried about the hen harrier, to be honest, and the the example of the Killarney National Park at 20 years to do that when that's probably an area that we're all really familiar with. And even there's such obvious value in it in tourism and, and all of that, it doesn't seem to make sense. Now, you spoke to ecologist Patrick Fogarty at the Irish Wildlife Trust on this lack of management plans specifically, and he had really strong words about it, didn't he?
1: Yes, he he sums it up really well. And unfortunately, it's not a very positive message, but it's the reality of what it's like on the ground in our protected areas without these plans. You know, having site-specific conservation objectives obviously is a legal requirement. But, you know, what's the point of them? If they're not linked to management measures, uh, then, you know, there's really little... little, just, just a little points of them. So we're not, we're not really getting off the, the, uh, the, the paper side of things here. We're not, you know, this is why, you know, nature is in such a death spiral at the moment, you know, that, um, that we're, we're just not getting, getting beyond the, uh, the bureaucracy side of things.
0: Death spiral. You don't get more stark than the phrase death spiral. Why hasn't the state acted more quickly?
1: A lot of the problems in this area are really fueled by its decades-long underfunding or under-resourcing of the very state agencies like National Parks and Wildlife Service or NPWS, as it's more commonly known, um, tasked with protecting or enhancing nature. So they're not getting the funding they need. Uh, A recent UCD study of nature funding showed that the NPWS has only been getting about 10% of all the state's biodiversity funding over the years. Uh, and there was little change in that until they got a little bump in last year's budget, but still well below the levels they received before the economic crash in the late 2000s. And even then, the funding wasn't that great. So, what this means then in translating into the work of the agency, it struggles to get the staff and resources that it needs to fulfill its role. Uh, and that's a pretty big remit it has. It's not just protecting those nature sites, it's carrying out the scientific studies that we need to inform. The bigger decision making from the government uh, as well as a myriad of other roles like wildlife crime enforcement its educational role. so it needs more resourcing and, and a lot of the problems come from that aspect
0: and how does the funding that we are spending how does that compare to what other countries kind of in our sort of sphere are spending on biodiversity protection how are we doing there now
1: well it's estimated we spend about 250 million per year on biodiversity so that sounds like a big figure, but it's actually pretty low by international standards. So if you translate that into the, the hard percentages, we're essentially spending 0.13% of our GDP on biodiversity. That is actually well short of the 0.3% that is recommended for OECD countries like Ireland by the UN. So the UN experts are saying we should be spending much more than we are, and we're well short of our, our colleagues with those countries. So. Uh, it doesn't look good when you compare us to, to many of our other European counterparts.
0: Obviously, Ireland has so many important habitats that are quite unique to us that we really don't want to, to see lost. Um, so, like of the money we are spending, Niall, are we spending it on projects and schemes that are doing a good job of halting the decline?
1: Unfortunately not. If you If you look at that UCD study I mentioned on biodiversity financing, uh, about 75% is actually going to the agricultural area. So most of that for these on-farm nature protection schemes that while successful to some extent, uh, the data and the reports show that they're simply tinkering at the edges of the problem. We really don't know the full extent of, of the success of them. And according to reports from the state, from the from the EU and the EU Court of Auditors, they're really not making the changes that we need to halt the biodiversity decline.
0: And they're not measuring the outcome. So they can't even tell, you know, what will work and what, what doesn't work. It, it sounds like something if you were in a company and you decided that's the way you were going to run it, it, it you'd definitely be chased out of the boardroom. I mean, that's quite a bleak image that you're investigation there is painted for biodiversity in ireland but i mean there must be hope out there because we are all aware of this being an issue and on eu level i think there's a bit of pressure coming down the line will you will you please give me a little bit of hope there niall
1: yeah sorry if i'm mr doom and gloom as i, as I <laughs> usually am but but there is some hope yes uh, and a big part of the solution is actually to be found in the problem that we just discussed so a large part of the damage to biodiversity has come from I suppose you would say it's really a state support of an intensified farming and commercial forestry model. And then from the commercial forestry side, most of that is planted on farmland. So the farms, however, also hold a solution in that regard. So the experts that we spoke to for this are all clear that the key is to ramp up supports for these locally led on farm biodiversity projects where ecologists and farmers work side by side and farmers are rewarded for the results that they achieve.
0: Well that sounds good. Have we any examples of this? And you're gonna pardon the pun now now, but working in the field?
1: <laughs> yes, we have actually some some excellent results-based pilot projects in Ireland. That's one area where we're doing really, really well. So there where farmers are getting rewarded for this biodiversity protection for different species and habitats, including the hen harry we discussed above. There's a really, really good project ongoing with a lot of farmers and covering a large area along the west coast of Ireland. Fantastic work being done there, and the results are coming in. Another good project is actually working on protecting the curlew, um, not just the species from, they're protecting it from predation, they're protecting the habitat it lives on on farms and in upland areas and bogs. And this work is really, really vital because. Unfortunately, the latest data shows we're at around just 150 breeding pairs left of the species in Ireland. Wow. Uh, so, and it is estimated to be going extinct as a breeding species in Ireland before the end of the decade without more supports in place. And this results-based model could be really, really vital to ensuring the species and the call of the curlew is, is heard into the future on the island.
0: Okay, and the EU is also a powerful motivator for Ireland, isn't it? I mean, it's been moving in this direction and encouraging biodiversity protections that are more imperative and impactful, as far as I know.
1: Yes, I think the EU is is somewhat answering the call of the experts who are are crying out for more funding to go in this direction. Uh, There's going to be new rules coming in to effect in 2023 that will give a large chunk of the farm subsidies from Europe for biodiversity protection through a more results-based model. So it will be funding to uh, increase the amount of land on farms that go towards biodiversity protection, but then additional money on top for these results-based schemes to get the quality as well. So it'll be about quantity of biodiversity on farm, but importantly also about the quality and the EU is moving in this direction. And I think Ireland will have to follow suit as well.
0: Is there anything else to be positive about Niall?
1: Yeah, there's there are a few things. The the MPWS got a funding bump uh, in the last budget. It still has a long way to go. Uh, it's not at the levels it needs, but it was welcoming to see that. And there's also a review ongoing of the structure of the MPWS at the moment. That should end up, that's the way it's looking, it should end up with it getting more powers and more resources to come, I guess, out of the shadow of different government departments and potentially become a standalone agency, which would be really important. So a long way to go, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. But again, that's only if the right resources are put in place to stop nibbling around the edges of this problem and tackle the crisis head on. It's really the only way to ensure that we have the call of the curlew on the island or the sight of a colorful puffin on Skellig Michael into the future and that they don't just become memories of the collective past.
0: Right. And I think the Irish public uh, in general, we there's been a sense, I think, particularly in the early lockdown of last year, that we all felt a little bit more connected to nature. We were out in it more, whatever that meant within our restricted areas. Um, And I know myself listeners to this episode, we may be feeling a bit powerless in the face of the threat that we've been describing here. But is there something that I can do or the listener could do on an individual lev- level to help halt this decline? You know, nobody wants to see the puffins going. Nobody wants to think there'll be fewer wildflowers in the future or that whole habitats are endangered. What, what can we do as people now? Yeah,
1: there's, there's quite a lot we can do. So I'd say, of course, the big structural changes need to come from policymakers. But we all do have a role to play in tackling the biodiversity crisis. The first step, I would say, is simply to educate yourself on the state of our natural world, the problems that that it has, and then make the day to day changes that can actually really make a difference. So you can plant pollinator friendly uh, native species in your garden if you have one or pots on the balcony will work as well. If you have a bigger garden and more space, plant some more trees, leave some space to rewild for nature to take over itself. Uh, You can start composting your food waste, cutting down on the amount of plastic that you use in your home. And beyond that, you know, get step beyond the doorstep. See what your local community is doing, what projects are out there. Join the other eco warriors in your local area to make nature protection, not just something for you, but the new normal in your community. And I know it sounds a bit cliched, but really at this point with the poor condition that our natural world is in, every little bit counts.
0: Absolutely, I think that's the message for us to take away that every little bit counts. But we do need those structural changes to happen. And I was thinking there we have a team member in noteworthy who has um, a garden where the end has got you know quite a bit of trees and and um, she's left it run a little bit um, to itself and. Uh, Foxes have moved in, I, I believe. Is that right, Niall? There's a den at the bottom of her garden.
1: Yeah, that, that just shows how, how quickly things can change. And obviously we saw with lockdown, less people in Dublin. Now you have the the Trinity Fox that now has become a fox community on, on Trinity's campus. So nature will find a way back if we give it that little bit of space.
0: Niall, thanks a million for all of those insights into what's happening with biodiversity. And... I think I'm going to take myself off now for a nature walk and possibly sponsor a hen harrier. If, if that's a thing I can do, thank you again for your time. And thank you for everyone listening to this bonus episode of the explainer brought to you by us at noteworthy.ie. This episode was produced by Laura Byrne with special thanks to Nikki Ryan and the explainer team for their kind help and advice if you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, and all of the other work that we've been doing, you can head now to our site, it's at noteworthy.ie. And we'd really love to hear from you and also to communicate back to you what we're doing. So if you email us at information at noteworthy.ie, we will send you out our newsletter, which gives an insider look at our latest investigations. Thanks for having us and we'll see you next time.